This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 576. And the quote of the day is, experience is the teacher of all things. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Nick Ruffini. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, episode 576. And it's a great one with my man, Terrence F. Clark. For those of you who don't know about Terrence, he is Memphis born and bred, started playing drums when he was two and grew up in the church. Father is a musician, relatives as musicians, and Again, started at a really young age and has been in Memphis ever since just doing it. He's toured all over the world and he has a mentor named Steve Jordan. You may have heard of him. And when you hear Terrence's playing, you realize what has influenced him and realize that he has that Memphis soul, that Memphis grit, that loose feeling and it's something that I really love about his playing and this conversation we talk a lot about how he developed that sound and how he focuses on not only using his life experiences to affect how he plays the drums and influence how he plays the drums but also how he's worked on dynamics and touch and feel and getting different sounds out of different drums and being very diligent about trying to figure out that stuff instead of trying to figure out how he can play you know, paradiddles at 300 beats a minute with his feet. And he shares a lot of information about how you can do it as well. And it's just, it, for me, it was very eye-opening. And I've gone down that road of, of exploring a lot of those things. But to hear Terrence talk about it made me want to literally get done the conversation and go into the practice room for hours and just practice those things. So it's a great conversation, very inspiring, and he is just an amazing human being. I'm so glad that I got him on the podcast. Let's not waste any more time, and let's get into it with Terrence F. Clark. Terrence, what's happening, my man? Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, I, I was, I always do, you know, research on on my guests before they come on, and I threw a YouTube video on of yours. Just you were just playing some Istanbul symbols, and I, and you know how like when you're done watching a YouTube video, it goes to the next video, and it goes yeah. to the next video. I didn't even realize it, but I started doing other work, and for the last like hour and a half, I was just listening to you play drums because. <laughs> Cause it loops from like one video to the next, to the next. And like, after a while I was like, man, this is all still Terrence. And I was like, it's all great. So it was like the perfect soundtrack to just like get some work done without like, it wasn't distracting. It just kind of like, it had this, it just kept me moving. So thank wow. you for the, for the soundtrack. <laughs> that's cool, man. I've never, that's really interesting. That's cool. And I did and, and like, I purposely, uh, I didn't purposely do it. Like I've listened to the one video and then I got up and walked away and had to come back and it was just still playing. I put my earbuds back on, started wow. responding to some emails. And so now I got, I got a work soundtrack that I'm going to dig that, man. <laughs> I, I might need to try that. So if it's something that sucks, I could take it down or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get, you go through and you're like, who's this clown? And then I'm you're like, like oh, what am I doing? Who, how did that stay up? Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, everything I heard was great. Not that my, you know, not that my opinion matters, but everything no, I, I heard. A lot. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, 
the one thing that I've always that I've always noticed about your playing, and especially like sitting there and just listening to you playing drums, right? It's not you playing with other music. The stuff that I was hearing was just you playing drum. You have this like this like understated elegance to the stuff that you play, and the thing that I think is most beautiful about the way that you play is it seems effortless and it seems like you're not working hard, but like behind the scenes, I'm like, there's a lot of stuff that's happening inside of here. There's a lot of nuances and things like that. And I got to, I got to believe that that comes from what you grew up listening to and like early influences on you. So talk to me about like growing up in Memphis, like you have all these famous students, you have fame and you have, you have sun and you have stacks. And obviously you didn't grow up during that time, but like that music had to influence you. Yeah, man. I <clears throat> the cool thing about Memphis is like you're influenced by Memphis music before you even learn about it. You know, or is it kind of like a New Orleans thing where like yeah, you just you think just, that everyone has that too? Yeah, it's like it's like it's in the water. You know, mm-hmm. every region kind of talks like that. And so before I even knew any better, before I even knew that you know, right around the corner from my grandfather's house was like Stacks and Royal Studios. Like you know, you just felt it in the air, the music and the culture, you know, right. and whether no, no matter what style uh, or genre, if you will, that you were into, it was still rooted in that Memphis sound, uh, whether it was gospel or uh, jazz or whatever. It, 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 it's all kind of like this one pot of soup gumbo kind of vibe, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just really learned by being around a lot of, uh, older gentlemen and who I call my peers as well as like mentors, you know, my dad being first, of course, coming up in, in, in my home. Um, and he played a lot of music and my grandfather, I speak of them all the time, no matter what, you know, interview I'm in, they are the, the, the architect of architects of what I know to be music and Mm -hmm. how to hear music and how to listen to music. Are they musicians or just music lovers? Uh, no, my dad, uh, he's a, he's a pianist, organ player. Um, and my grandfather was a singer, quartet singer. And, uh, I grew up in the church, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, playing not like a lot of contemporary music at first, but mostly like, you know, old hymnal soul churchy kind of stuff, you know? Right. Uh, they kind of led me to like, really love when I got, got to the point of being introduced to him, like Ray Charles, like that sound mm-hmm. of music is to me, the gospel stuff I grew up on, you know? Right. So it's so interesting about Ray Charles because he was sort of chastised in the beginning of his career. Oh yeah, definitely. How he because was taking, that's all, that's all he knew, you know, you right, kind of, right. that's all, you know, you, you want to create something new and it's still rooted in what you know. And I mean, he definitely was chastised, but it was the dopest stuff ever. Bro. Yeah. It's like timeless. And it was the, the perfect melting pot. And that's why they call him the genius. You know, he's, he's brilliant. So that was kind of the upbringing. I mean, whether it was uh, playing at church or playing on Bill street, playing private gigs, um, learning different music uh, styles. My dad really honed in just understanding what I was listening to and listening, listening to music with a, with an ear to understand what I'm hearing. You know, he would Mm -hmm. question, he would ask me, okay, what do you think this is? And why do you think they did this? And, you know, he would challenge my thought process in listening to the drummer and not only the drummer, everything else is going on, the response of the musical conversation. So 
that was the definite root of my upbringing for sure. So I know we'd, we'd mentioned uh, New Orleans earlier. Is Memphis the type of place where everyone is a musician, whether it be professional amateur or something like that, like sort of everyone plays an instrument? Man, you know, I don't know. I know that everybody can do something musically. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if it's not an instrument, you'd be surprised just the most random person could just bust out into a song, you know, right. or just, they just understand it. We, I feel like we all just understand it. Even if we mm-hmm. don't know a lot of people, I have a lot of peers, uh, a lot of younger people who don't even know certain kinds of music came out of Memphis. They right. still don't know, but they have it in them. So, um, I, I would say it's kind of tit for tat, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a little half and half. I've never met someone who didn't understand what Memphis is, even if they didn't right. know the totality of it. So they have some understanding of of uh, what that means. So mm-hmm. it's it's an incredible uh, community, you know, mm-hmm. with this different kind of uh, sects of uh, styles and and. Um, you know, people finding their way and their language and their, their, their sound, you know, Memphis, right. Memphis as a whole has a sound, but everybody out of Memphis still sound original, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, unique. So that's always been incredible to watch and witness too. I remember you saying that a lot of people think that Memphis did things and, and yeah. in, in, in the past tense, and, but Memphis is still an amazing thriving music community right yeah. i mean you're in, you're in the thick of it you're in the heart of it so you can speak to it talk to me about what the scene looks like now versus well maybe not versus then because i don't yeah. know, like you I, you probably you can't speak to that but but how is it now in memphis i think it's like most music towns um that had really legendary studios you know where you know you had a certain kind of caliber of musicians who went from studio to studio recording music on a professional level and the thing about Memphis, just like Detroit, uh, the industry left, you know, big mm-hmm. time. And the next generation who saw that and was still part of that had to figure out what to do, you know. Right. And so I think the current day um, vibe of, of Memphis music is really just independent, you know, um, mm-hmm. just owning your own stuff. And so you have a lot of home studios, you have a lot of production companies popping up. You have a lot of teams in different areas of music, whether it's hip hop, soul, rock and roll, blues, you know, singer, songwriter, alternative, uh, folk, um, Americana, all of that stuff here in Memphis, but they all have their, their vibe. So people are still creating music. Uh, the studios still have people coming in, but people have learned how to simplify, uh, and make music at home whether it's solo or together. And I think that's across the board around the Mm -hmm. world for sure. But Memphis still does it in a way I think that is unique because, um, you know, like Motown, um, you know, having a studio in a little house, you know what I mean? A little basement. Right. Right. That I don't think it's far from the way it all started anyway. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Which I think as a whole, we're all just going back to the foundation of how music started and was recorded. Um, before it got super polished in like the art of recording and the super right. fancy studios and things like that. I mean, I think uh, Memphis still thrives off of the simplicity of, you know, limitations, you know what I mean? Thriving mm-hmm. off of like 
this is what I have. I'm going to use what I have. I don't have to update and have the newest this or the newest that. I, I create a sound based on what I have. And that, to me, is what I see Memphis doing and um, still, you know, still perpetuating uh, uh, the root of that that energy and, mm-hmm. and that, uh, that foundation, I guess, yeah. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned all those famous studios. I I mentioned one of them. I said fame, but that is not in Memphis. That's in Muscle Shoals. It just yeah. pop. But like I always grew, like yeah, I always grew them vibe, together. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. but fame it, is I not is not in Memphis. <laughs> it's it's like the Southern Triangle though. Like they're all connected, man. Like they were all in this area. You know, it's it's like the Mid South, man. You know, so yeah. we all we all talk about you know all these studios as if they're one sound in a way like, Oh yeah, this vibe, this vibe, but they were all built off the same kind of like foundation of how you make music. So mm-hmm. that, that I hear fame and I still feel like, yeah, that's home. Even though I've never been there. I've never right. been there. I've never recorded there. I've Me always either. wanted to visit, but you know, I still feel like, yeah, that's home. Cause there are people who, you know, got, you know, got their start there that definitely were from Memphis or different places like that, you know? So mm-hmm. Aretha and, Franklin for a sec, for example. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, um, I, you would mention this sort of doing more with less. And that goes back to what I was saying sort of about this, this understated elegance that you have with your playing where I, I know that you can play more, right. And you can yeah. play more notes and all that stuff, but that's not what it's about. And I've seen like, I've seen all these videos of you and it's like, you know, kick, snare, hi-hat, and a floor tom, and a couple <laughs> cymbals or something like that. But that, from an outsider, it I look at it and I say, oh, it's, it's these great sonic choices and, and all these mm-hmm. other things. But for you, you're like, that's just that's just what we do Yeah, in Memphis. That's just, that's what it is. And I remember, um, I remember listening to some old, some old soul stuff. And I was working with my drummer, mentor of mine. And I was like, yeah, I love how it's like, it's really sloppy and and he and like I thought he was gonna punch me in my face. And I was and which sloppy was the wrong word, right? Yeah, and, yeah. But it was loose. Loose, yeah. And that was the word I was I mean, I was younger, you know. Yeah, but yeah. uh but but uh but you have that uh you have that feel, you have yeah. that vibe. Is how did you develop that? Do you think it's from what you listened to and, and what your dad was telling you and your grandfather and, and what you were hearing on the records? I think it took time for sure because Earlier on in my in my style, I was really refined, I think, in like the sharpness of the quarter note, you know, the mm-hmm. efficiency of like just being right on and all the notes being super short and clean and all these things. And then I started getting into drummers like Carlos Vega and Steve Gadd, Steve Jordan, where the notes just felt wide. Yeah, there was a there was a video that I was listening to, like I said, when I was uh, when I was like doing work, but still listening. Yeah, if I would have bet a I would have bet a thousand dollars that it was Steve Jordan, and it was. <laughs> That's great. I'll, yeah. take and it. I was, I'll take it. Not and not like mimicking his style. No, but, I know what you mean. Mimicking just the vibe and the feel, and I was like, that sounds like Steve, and uh, it was you, yeah. and I was like, eh, okay. Well, and it, it it didn't click for me until Steve though. Steve Jordan, he said something about the quarter note. He talks about it in his DVD. First of all, his DVD is game changer because yeah. he doesn't sit around and say, uh, this is how you play. He's like, no, this is the groove I played on this song. And this is mm-hmm. the groove I played on this song. And these are, this is me playing with some incredible musicians and we're just vibing. Yeah. And he talks about the value of the quarter note when you play timpani. And I've played timpani um, in, in uh, some different events and things like that. And 
the understanding of the, the value of a quarter note, the quarter note can be as short or as long as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And that's just the air that you feel and hear that quarter note. And when he kind of shared that, I immediately understood what he was saying. It spoke, mm-hmm. it was, it was a language that I just, it just unlocked so many things for me in understanding the space of the groove. Um, and, you know, coming up in, in recording where it's like you have a click, you have a metronome, you have to be right on, dead on. And that was that was the time I was 15 years old, you know, recording in studios. And I was just all about being dead on the click. And then mentors of mine, you know, I'm playing with guitars who like gu- guitar players who might rush a little bit and push a little bit. Like you had to you can be like so stubborn where you're like, well, no, this is the click. Mm-hmm. You have to move with the musicians you're playing with, but still understand like you're the body and the root of the groove and you can still push and pull and move where it breathes like, like a human being. And Mm -hmm. once I got that understanding of that and didn't get so hung up on, you know, maybe pulling and pushing, like that's when I just really fell in love with the notes, the note, you know, just Mm -hmm. the, the note, man. I can't, it's just, I fell in love with the note versus um, just trying to be perfect, right? You know, right. um, and perfection is relative, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I don't think it, it exists. Yeah, exactly. Like it's perfection is is to me broken pieces as well. You know that you can see beauty in everything. Um, mm-hmm. and in nature, for me, that that helps me. Remind it reminds me of that. You know, right, um, right. But but yeah, like I just listening to Vinny. I still go, I was listening to this record the other day. I was driving back from Nashville from a session the other day and I was listening to Sting's um, Ten Sumner's Tale. Mm-hmm. That's a record my dad brought me up on. Like, Such a for, good record. Oh my God, bro. It's like, amazing. It's still, it's timeless, man. But when you listen to it, I, every time I listen to it, I hear a different way of listening to it. And at the root of it, for me, this last time I listened to it, I was like, man, you know, this a lot of these songs are country songs, <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. country music, you know, yeah. but it's like this fat backbeat, you know, this funky thing that's happening, you know? Yep. So I was like, why is that? You know, how is it, how are these elements still fitting together to be uh, familiar, but yet new? And mm-hmm. so here, my dad would like pause this, the, the CD or the tape and be like, okay, what is Vinny doing right here? Like what, but, but more, more importantly, what is this song about? What is Sting? What is the story about? And then I would hear Vinny's response as a player differently. Like he would respond to lyrics and things that Sting would say and things that other people would play to add color. And for me, it was just watching. It was like listening to the sound of what it what it might be to visualize the story occurring mm-hmm. right before my eyes. That. Yeah, that, that reminds me of like in uh in seven days when he's like I think I need a drink and then he yeah. hits the snare yeah right and he's like and the rest of the time he's playing on the side stick right and then he's like I need a drink and it's like boom oh. and then right back to the right back exactly. to the side stick and you're like oh yeah it's like this little like just a little bit of color adding yeah. like some emphasis on that thing yeah you man. know yeah so I I just really dug all of that um just even understanding like what was the song uh. Seven it's seven days, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a seven day, yeah. And for the first time, it just hit me like he's saying seven days. He's talking about seven, 
and the song is in seven. Like, these little <laughs> things, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, duh. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, so it's just the intentionality is what changed the way I viewed music and playing drums. And I, I, I just felt like playing drums was cool. I had been doing it since I was two years old. But I was like, now I just, I want to be a musician, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that mean for me? You know, right. and, and not trying to compare that with anyone else. So, yeah, I hope that answers. It does. It does. Yeah. There's, I always see that, that there's sometimes a breakdown between sitting behind the kit, learning all this stuff. You learn your rudiments, you learn, you know, yeah. all the things that need that you need technically to get around the kit. So that's like the weight room. Right. Yeah. And then you step out on to the football field and you don't know how to play football. Right. Yeah. You know how to lift. You can lift weights and things like that. But or you can run fast, but you can't like you can't run a pattern or or anything like that to you know mm-hmm. to use the sports reference. So how how do you suggest that people make the transition like you did, saying okay, before I was just worried about in in you know basically learning the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. How do you start transferring that into making music and making it it sound good and and you know. Because that's the unta- this is the stuff that lights me up is like that intangible. Of, yeah. Of how do you how do you take what you've learned and make music with it versus sounding like you just took a bunch of notes and placed them around the kit? I think there's several things, and it's it's complicated because it's hard to measure, and it's hard to kind of like tell someone to do because it takes time, and it's not something that you always it's not something you can actually facilitate within yourself. But one of the main things is just living experiencing life like life experience definitely informs a lot of that mm-hmm. um because again it's about the believability of of what you're doing and what you're playing and, and it i think it starts there you know most of the legends that i love and that i reference to me at a time when when they were making music that wasn't it wasn't a luxury right you know it was like this is what I'm here to do and this is what I'm going to do. And it sucks a lot of the time. And when I get on that stage, that is when I have to put it out. I have to put it all out. And what they went through during that day, during that week in their personal lives and dealing with the world, the society at the time that came through in the music and it came through experiencing some rough things. And so I think just life can definitely inform that and, and give that transition. Then also diversifying in, in a more practical way, diversifying the things you listen to, you know, mm-hmm. like the music you listen to. Like I used to do this thing where I have several peers and I, but this is back in the iPod days. I still have this iPod classic, by the way. And I would I give it to my, I don't yeah. use it, but I still have it. Yeah, same. And I would give it to friends and I would say, hey, who were told they were into totally different kind of music than I. I was like, hey, take my iPod, put some music on here you think I would I need to know, I would think, you know, this is before playlists, you know, so right, this is before right, right, streaming right. world. So like that was this is my version of that. I was like, hey, give you know, put something on here that that you think I need to know or need to hear. And then I would get my iPod back and if I'm driving around or whatever, I would put it on shuffle. Mm-hmm. And I would just let whatever is in there play. And man, it would blow me away the type of things that would just randomly pop up. And I'm like, oh my God, 
this is great. And I, and I'm, I'm like blown away. Like I remember one of those uh, moments was the first time I heard this band called uh, the battles. Mm-hmm. And familiar with them. Oh man, my buddy, Timmy Jones put this, this record on. I don't even remember the name of the record, but it blew me away. And I was <laughs> like, this is incredible. And it was more so it wasn't because it wasn't that they were doing anything so new. It was just like the combination of sounds um, and, and the groove, it, it, it was the tones. It was like the, 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 the mechanics were the same, but the tones mm-hmm. were different. And so to me, when I started listening to more music, different kinds of music, that's the thing I realized. It was like the mechanics are the same in a lot of these situations. It's the tones that change. Right. And it's the touch that changes. And once I got that for me, it changed a lot of how I approach any situation I'm in. So it, it gave me a it gave me more ammunition for my creative bag, you know, to reach in and be like, oh, okay, this is that vibe. Versus like, let me store up on all these these chops and all right. these licks and all these yep. things. Let me store up on all these things that once you know them, you know them, but they're just they're just there, you know. You don't get to use them a lot, but I can always use the difference of tone and how to get to different tones and what that means. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm done with that, I could put it right back in the bag because again, like just because I used it once or twice or ten times doesn't mean I can't use it again. You right, know, right, right. So it wasn't for me until like I really that's that shift was definitely listening to a lot of music. Um, and I can't I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I don't retain a lot of names of songs. That's just my thing. But I something about me knows a melody and a motif like nobody's business. I could right. tell, like I can hum out and connect the dots of motifs and, and melodic changes uh better than the name of a song like i just right. can't it's yeah, I, can, I can't remember names of songs yeah i can't but i could definitely you know recognize a, a motif and and how it might be similar to this song or that song and this song or whatever and whatever so um i think i think that's kind of what what changed it for me uh was i wanted to be a little bit more versatile in what i bring to the table versus the chop element of it one line in the Dream Symbol family that I think is really cool is the Dark Matter family. They have the Flat Earth, the Moon Ride, and the Dark Matter Energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the Dark Matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. When you were saying from chops to taking different sounds, sonic choices, vibes, all those things. It takes you out of cutting and pasting, you know, mm-hmm. like stealing it from someone else and just putting it into a, it's like, I always thought about it, like using a really big word in the middle of a casual conversation <laughs> and someone's like, well, no, where did that come from? Yeah, right. Yeah. And you're like, let me use another one. Use another one. And you're like, you, uh, you see how smart I am. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, you see 
this thing that I practiced. Um, and then, but getting into getting into that different sonic choices and all that kind of stuff, it just be, starts to become who you are. And then, then it can naturally fit into what you're playing. You're not forcing these things in. Yeah. From a practical standpoint, how did you how did you achieve that? Is it is it just the listening exercises, or are you are you taking that into the practice room and working on concepts and playing along? And I see. Yeah, I I am not that guy. I don't practice concepts. I I practice literally. I practice touch. How so how, I how like, I touch walk me through that? Well. The older I've gotten, I'm not that old, but like <laughs> the older <laughs> I get, you know, like I am, I am all about, and and I had a, another drummer, p- drumming peer of mine, uh, Cliff Jackson, Pee Wee, we call him Pee Wee. We were talking about this. It's like I'm starting to notice like the stuff that I really dig, and I really want to be like where I am right now in my playing. I want to play lighter, right? Like. I'm not talking about live, specifically like in the studio. I'm like, I want to gain the pre's. I want to have incredible mics and I want to just barely touch the instrument and let it just blow up. You know what I mean? Like right. to me, that is just where I am right now. So for me, I'm like how right now, currently I'm like, how soft can I play this cymbal or this, these toms or this snare, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause um, you can always go up. Oh man. Going up is the easy part. That's so easy. It's right. freaking boombastic drums. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like anybody can hit a crash and there you go. You know? But how many people can hit a a crash and you hear all these different tones and you know exactly where to hit it for a certain purpose, you know, in the right. song or, or whatever you're trying to do. And it's like one tone here, one tone there. It's not just one fit all like thing. Right. This this instrument that's handcrafted. Specifically, Istanbul Agap. That's what I play. <laughs> um, that's handcrafted. Has so many complexities in it that if you really get to know it, that is, that's the nerdy stuff I get into. Right. You know. So, um, as far as the shed for me, the shed for me is listening to music and then, you know, figuring out how to translate what I know in my head in a studio session. Mm-hmm. Um, the live thing is incredible but i think for me i shed for studio i shed for recording uh purposes because to me i like the idea of something that i know sonically forever being recorded on tape or whatever for the rest of time and it's like this this snapshot you know um so i i practice for the purpose of recording because live is live it's a moment that's that's it's all about the energy of that moment mm-hmm. and it's fleeting. It's incredible. But once it, that literal moment is gone, it's gone. Yeah. So yeah. I don't practice a lot for that. I, I, I think, you know, I've been, I've been very privileged to play with incredible musicians that when you're playing with them on stage, you don't know where you're going to go. And that's right. the fun thing about it. So I'm not thinking about, you know, a lot of things I'm thinking about just, listening and responding so mm-hmm. i practice mainly for studio i practice understanding um tone and tuning and i know that might not answer the question but but that's that's about as as much as i have no <laughs> it, does, it does answer the question yeah okay um, so you would mention 
about how how lightly you can play the drums and we were saying oh yeah it's always easy to go up and and i feel that most people have if there's if let's just say the dynamic range is one to ten yeah most people have six to ten yep right maybe five to ten but like five and below is really hard and i i remember i went and took lessons from scott amendola and he said he was like man you play really loud like all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't even realize it. And he was like, look, I want you to, everything that you do, I want you to try to play it as quietly, no earphones and like as quietly as you can possibly play it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden my dynamic range went from five to 10 to one to 10. Yeah. And then, and then you're like, oh my God, I have so much more, I have so much more room and like so much more versatility. So I would urge anyone just go take all the stuff that you normally do and just go like, here's like, for me, it was always the true test. Set your iPhone down yeah, and record with your iPhone. So that, and if it doesn't clip, then you're playing quietly enough. Like set your yeah. iPhone right next to your drums and play. Yeah. Yep. And like, if it's clipping, you're playing too loud. Dude, I've sent people phone recordings who just needed something real quick and done that. And, and it was just like, and it made the track. That's you know nuts. I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like right. it, and it, they, they just use that. And so like, that to me is fun. Like, I'm like, man, you know, and I, I think, um, and the other thing is like trying to do that at, you know, do it at 45 beats a minute. Yeah. At, at like a one dynamic level, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, forget it. You're talking forget, you want to, you want to sound like a beginner, do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause it's like, how can I possibly make this feel good? There's, yeah. so, much, there's so much space and I have to play light. What is happening? How yeah. did the, in the world it makes you feel like you're playing with two left feet? You know? Yeah, exactly. It's but the hard. other thing it's too, I, this is the hard part too. I learned is that when you're trying to play that light on the kit, I mean, you're sitting on the throne, and this is it's core workout, man, because you're literally holding everything, all your limbs. Just there's some tension there, and you're trying <laughs> to hold it just light. And the the hardest part is doing your right and your left hand and and your left foot but trying to get that that kick drum pedal just right yeah that is the hard playing off of the head Mm -hmm. oh my god that is the hardest part but it's the most fun and you know that that's the workout for me yeah that's the shedding i'm doing at home it's like man how can i make i call it the bloom the mm-hmm. bass drum tone where it's just it just blooms, you know, it's just right. you barely hit it and you hear all this low end and all this beautiful, you know, attack without it being just boom, boom, you know, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. For you that, I mean that was me for years. Like I would I just buried the beater and I just thought yeah. like that's what you do. And that's then all of a sudden do. you're like, Oh, you can this can be an open tone too. Yeah. And it's like now I got all these other wait a minute, and I can mix it now and I can like yeah. bury it and open. And exactly. And now you're oh, like man. And now there's all of these things in between. And then you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. Like yep. I know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That that was the change for me. If if I go back to that question too, is like once I started realizing that I wasn't even using the instrument to to its fullest capability. Because I did mm-hmm. get bored. I, I feel like all musicians hit a plateau. We hit constant plateaus. You gotta figure it out. All right, what do you want to do next and where you wanna take it? After that last plateau of like thinking like, well, what else can I do? Like I play drums, what I do. And I got to the point of like the dynamic element of it and like understanding that all these drums have more to offer. I just have to seek it. That to me is now, I haven't hit a plateau as frequent 
now because mm-hmm. it's just so much more to get involved or to dig into with that new knowledge now. Right. You when know, you do so. hit a plateau, do you say, okay, what? let me uncover something else? Like, let me try to like, do you mess with tunings or do you like say, okay, let me try to restrict how many drums I have or yeah. add more cymbals or just mm-hmm. work on a hi-hat thing or like, what do you do to get When out I hit of a plateau, man, I, am, I, I leave the instrument completely. Yeah. 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 I don't try to dig in and force it to show me something or mm. it's, it's like a relationship with anyone you have in your life. I don't try to force it to talk to me. Right. And I don't try to force myself to talk to it. Right. I'm like, man, we need some space. Yeah. And I need to get to, I need to appreciate you differently now, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I step away. I step away hard. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. And, and then I come back, you know, let's say I step away and then I get called for a session. I'm like, okay, you ready to talk now? Let's, let's go talk. Right. Right. And I go in a session and I'm like, oh, wow. I missed you. Yeah. Really? Oh, What's man. What's the longest is- you've, you've stepped away? Really, I think a lot of us have in this pandemic. So <laughs> the, right. the early part of quarantine, uh, because I've, I've been playing for so long, I've been touring for so long. It's, it, unlike a lot of people, I just decided to not play. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to play drums. I'm not going to practice. I'm not going to. I want to get into some other creative things, you know, right. uh, writing and things like that. So I, I think this time this year was the longest I definitely stayed away. And then. You know, I got asked to be part of a project and, and create with some different artists in L.A. And that was fun. It was like, oh, OK, here we go. I'm back in it, you know. Right. right. Um, but I, I, I trust my body and my and my ear um, to just know I could just go back in and and, and pick up where I left off, you mm-hmm. know, or and, and be inspired by the things that I left right. uh, and see new things, you know, so. I, I think during this time, the early part of quarantine was definitely the longest, um, maybe, what was it, three months? I don't think right. I I touched a drumstick, bro. Like, I didn't yeah. do anything. I and get it. it was, I did it for a year. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Well, I think, I mean, there was a lot. I think that, uh, like, I at the time, I was like, I'm not playing, I'm not gigging, right? Yeah, yeah. I was running this podcast and running the business behind it so everything was like just like drums 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 yeah. drums and i was like i just need to like i want to go do some some other things and mm-hmm. and then uh got a studio here set my kid up and then same thing with you it's like oh yeah. i missed you yeah uh, hi, it's, a, you know? it's a scary thing to do man i think a lot of people wish they could and might want to step mm-hmm. away from their dominant instrument but you start to depend on it like it's it's yeah. a healthy, unhealthy relationship at times. Yeah. You know? But I think and it's important to step away. Like I it think is it's very hard. important, but some like, people it's, it's okay. It'll be there when you get back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there are a lot of advice. People say, you know, if you don't practice one day, like you'll feel it in, in, you know, I don't buy and I, that. I don't buy it either, bro. Um, I, I'm not, I buy it. If you're trying to play like inverted paradiddles yeah. on your feet, at like 300 beats a minute like yes. if you're not training like an olympic athlete you might feel it if you haven't practiced yes, that's exactly i think that's what they're trying to say but when you kind of blanket statement that uh, and it i think it creates a, a false narrative for a, a, a big part of the generation that thinks that like i gotta do this every day right right and i'm like man you have a lot of li- you have a lot of life to live that informs that very creativity the very thing that's in you that 
inspires you to create. Right. And right. you can't do that by being in it all the time. Right. Like that's not to me that hasn't served me as a healthy type of uh, practice. Sure. So, you know, to step away for, from it for me is just as important as being all in into it when I'm in it. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of the it's part of the the ebb and flow of it, man. It's just yeah. it's important. So. I have a theory about it and I'd love to hear what you think about it. And and if you feel differently, I would definitely love to hear that too. But (laughs) I think that like when we first get started, there is a period in time where we got to be practicing every day and go through that like four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day, just like shedding all the time practicing. And, and that's your main focus. But I think as we get older as players, I think that the focus, I'm going to say this very delicately, but the focus has to be less on practicing and mm-hmm. more well-rounded just life and yes. like working on working on your business side yep. of the music business, like getting the gigs and all that kind of stuff, relationship building, working on your practicing, but like working on your field, working on your experiences, going out and experiencing the world and, mm-hmm. and round it. But in the beginning, yes, you got to put that time in. You yep. got to be like no, drums or everything. But yeah. I think as you get older, you need to start stepping back on like, you don't have to practice eight hours a day if you've been yeah. playing for 25 yeah. years. You know? For your whole life, right. I mean, right. It's, it goes back to... You can if you want to. But. Yeah, you can. Look, no judgment here. But right. the players that we were talking about, you know, those guys don't do that. Like, right. they just don't, you know, like, they practice, they do things, you know, but like... And it dep- you know what? It just depends on the kind of musician you want to be, too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it, it all comes down to that, and there's no judgment in that. But the kind of musician I want to be is rooted in the philosophy of life and living versus just being my living being what I do in the, on this right. instrument. Um, and I want to be able to relate to people beyond just my instrument, mm-hmm. you know? And right. so if I don't step away and live life and see the other things that's going on around the world and I'm just in my bubble of like practice and playing and practice and playing, I think sometimes, you you know, you miss out on the moment that you're intended to be in and that's your right. life moment, your generational moment of, of living in the time you live in. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's all important, you know, to each their own. Uh, but for me, that's when it shifted. It's it's the worst conversation I could have with someone that I hadn't seen in a while. Is like, so what you've been working on? What music you listen to? What you practicing? Da, 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 da. That kind of like frustrates me. <laughs> right, right. Because I'm like, man, we're humans first, you know? Um, mm-hmm. How can we connect in a real way first? And then maybe talk about that stuff, you know? Like, right, 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 right. But yeah, when I was younger... Dude, I practiced so much. I had a key. I had a, a drum set at my my house, my parents, and then I also had access to um, my grandfather's church. And mm-hmm. so, like, we lived very close to the church. I could literally go over at midnight. Like, if I couldn't sleep, my dad right. would let me go over to the church, and I would turn on a few lights in the, in the in the sanctuary, and literally like listen to whatever record. I wanted to listen to over the right. big speakers in, in the church right. and play to it, you know? And I did that a lot. Like there were nights where I know, like they weren't worried about where I was. Cause I was like, I was over there practicing. I was over there playing, you right. know? 
You're and like, I'm in the church. There's yeah, I'm like, in the church. It's, yeah. It's potentially the best place in the world I could be. Yeah, Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, <laughs> but just the privilege of that access, you know, I know a lot of people sure. don't have, you know what I mean? And, and looking back, right. you know, I don't take that for granted, but like to be able to have a situation like that, um, I, I did that for years, for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then too, Nick, I'm kind of into this point where a lot of principles and a lot of like philosophies that I've come to know. And I, I, I realized that a lot of my peers, I can't expect them to know that even though we came up during the same time. And I'm going to tell you why, like I'm learning a lot of my peers didn't start actually playing their instruments until they were teenagers. Right. And I, my story is different. I started playing literally when I was two years old. Right. So all yeah, I, I mean, like I started when I was 15, right? Yeah. So like if we, if we're, I, I have a feeling we're around, I'm 39. I don't know how old you are. Yeah, I'm 38. Okay. So, so if you and I met when we were 15, yeah. like you got 13 years of experience on yeah. already. I was already like in, I right. already knew, right. I already knew names of drummers who my peers were just now diving into, whether it was right. Dave Ruckle, Vinny stuff like that. I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. But I was like going even deeper down. Like I had, I had my Dave Wuckel, you know, phase and wanted to learn all the, the, the exercises he would do. And I saw him in clinics, you know, and, and coming in Memphis and things like mm-hmm. that. So I was, it, I had to like realize like, you know, my experience right now and where I've been going uh, as a musician, you know, it's just different. Like a lot of my peers, it's, it's just different. We're all different, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and we all respect each other. And I, and I, people say this to me all the time. And you said it earlier in this interview, like, you know, you know, I could do all these licks and I could play all this stuff. I don't even know if I can anymore. But I, I'm sure, <laughs> like, I'm sure if I sat down and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember this. So I could pick this up because it's, to me, I mean, it's nothing new under the sun. I feel like I could dive into it. But there's definitely a style of playing right now that is blowing my mind that would take some time if I really wanted to dive into it to, to figure it out. And I've referenced these two, well, one one drummer specifically in several podcasts. Um, his name is Justin Brown. Mm-hmm. He plays yep. for Thundercat and some other people. Um, he blows my mind. He blows my mind, bro. Right. Like, in how in what way you immediately know he could do all the chops he's showing you these things but he is very rooted in the real soulfulness of what it means to be a player Mm -hmm. like he knows his stuff and he's rooted in that stuff to where like all the stuff he's doing in this this flair new type of way it's coming from somewhere and most of the guys that i've seen do that that particular style they're just learning it on the surface because they see other cats playing it right 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 right. and so they they do it and they do it well but it's not rooted in something Mm -hmm. and justin to me is rooted in this thing like i saw him in la was it early this year um he had a show a set at eta Mm -hmm. and i went to see him play and um i felt like i was watching a moment in history man i felt like i was watching elvin jones in a little club Wow. Like lose his shit. Like wow. And and I was sitting on the floor. Like I was like I was like a kid. You know, I'm a grown man, but I'm sitting here like I am digging what this dude is doing. And he's it wasn't just the playing. 
his heart, man. Like I believed every note and he's a kind hearted human being, right. you know? Um, and all that played into what I was, what the room was feeling at that moment. Um, and so that's to me is, is if you're going to do anything as a musician, man, just be rooted in something like know right. the foundation. And I, and I, I'm not talking about fundamentals of, of, the exercise. I'm talking about the foundation of who came before you, mm-hmm. you know, find you uh, a historic mentor, if you will, and study, like study that thing, study what they did. That gives, that gives a really true grounding of uh, where you may end up going. You know, it helps. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I think it just, it just helps in a great way. So anyway, I, I, I don't think I could play that way, <laughs> but uh, I think you can. Well, you know, maybe, but it takes some time. He's been doing it for a while. He he definitely he's a he's an artist in his way for sure, and mm-hmm. I admire it big time. I, I I can't stop talking about Justin Brown. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah, me too. I think he's a, yeah, I think he's an incredible gentleman of a guy, and uh, yeah, and I, I'm 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 pretty sure we come up in the same background. I mean, coming up mm-hmm. in church. You know, stuff right, like right. that. So you know, it's always amazing to see people go different routes and connect to different things musically, and you see all these uh, remnants of what they studied coming out and through them. So, right. shout out to Justin Brown, man, major. Yeah. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonicleer Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, are you tired of coated drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coated drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV light curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer. And you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evans Proprietary Hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. It's interesting now because I think it's harder to differentiate yourself i think it's harder to be different i think it's harder to have a different style than other people especially if you're younger if you're you know 19 20 21 two years 22 years old because i didn't grow up with the internet you didn't grow up with the internet right so so i wasn't not that i wasn't influenced by other drummers but i wasn't beat over the head with yeah bro thousands and thousands of drummers but i think what's happening now is People are look, seeing people online and they're like, oh, this is the thing that I should be doing. So then they start doing that and then they post videos online 
and it sounds like the other guy and then they post it online and then a girl picks that up and then she sounds like those three and we're sort of like everyone to me is moving into this like it's a homogenized thing but it like it's all a lot of it is starting to sound the same and i don't blame anyone for that i think it's you know whatever goes in is what's going to come out right and i think that we're we're if we're spending too much time just on instagram and youtube we're seeing the same stuff and we're just thinking this is how you play drums or this is what this is what you should sound like and this is what all the good people do um so i think it's hard now to differentiate yourself for sure i feel like we had a disadvantage where we didn't have access to the players when we were younger yeah but the advantage that we had to just be locked in a room and sort of find our own thing because we didn't have another choice well i think I think I would I would shift that that narrative. I don't think it was a disadvantage to not be able to see these players. I do think the access we did have was the access we had, whether it was VHS <laughs> instructional right. DVDs or performance performances that we got to see on TV eventually of, of people playing. Like I think what that did for us was made us hone in our attention span in a way I agree. that it, like you had to really focus in on what's happening. You couldn't yeah. be distracted. You couldn't be on your phone. You could. You had to watch because that was school. Mm-hmm. That was lesson yeah. number one. You know, or if you got a D, if you got a VHS, you weren't yeah. going to watch it for three minutes and then be like, "All right, next VHS." Okay, exactly. next VHS. Next VHS. Exactly. You studied that VHS. Yeah. For months, if not years. Yeah. Um, because there were still things that you wanted to try to get. Um, so I think, I don't think that's a disadvantage. I think it's a honing of focus. Right. Um, good way of putting and, it. Yeah, and I think it's like forced focus almost. Oh yeah, man. Uh, because I say it like this: I've shared this story before. It's one of my favorite stories of my dad. I like it. I like stories. Yeah, man. So I, I I played a gig with my dad when I was younger, and I was super proud of myself. It was with him and his peers. You know these these legends, these older cats in in town that I grew up watching, and I got to sit in on the song because the drummer didn't know the song. And after the after the show, get in the car, uh, a Nissan Maxima, nineteen eighty eight. I like stick it. Shift. Yeah, I like it. Maximas <laughs> were Maximas were all the rage then. Oh, man. bro, it's it's still the rage. If I find one right yeah. now, I'll probably buy it. I like it. But he he was driving, and my mom was up front. She was she was riding. I was in the back seat with my little brother, and I was like, "Pop, you know, how did I do? You know, how did I how did I do?" He said, "You did good. You did all right." He said, "Uh." but you need to learn how to hit the drum like a man. And I'm like, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm like, you know, you, <laughs> you hear that from your dad or any dude, you just kind of like bow up. You're like, wait, what? I am a yeah. man. What are you talking about? But this is also a time where, again, I'm 14, 15 years old, maybe even younger than that. I didn't have a phone in the backseat. I didn't have social media. I had to sit there and look out the window and take that and, <laughs> and try to understand what that meant. I had to go contemplate the, your existence. Right, I had to go through <laughs> the emotions of being angry, frustrated, mad at my dad, and then calm down and be like, okay, well, what is he saying? What did he mean by that? And what he meant by that, because it taught me how to like think for myself and kind of right. reason. And so he didn't spell it out. He wanted me to figure out what that meant. And what that meant was, okay, I'm a young kid. And his peers are grown men. They're playing this set. And I come in. And they've had a certain energy all night. And I come in and play this song. And I play it. I'm excited. I'm playing. But 
what he was trying to tell me and what he did tell me was that you got to match the energy and the the uh, the weight of the the sound of the drums mm-hmm. no matter who you come behind right you can't let the energy die down so that's what i end up taking from that i was like okay if i'm going to play after somebody's already been playing and after energy's already been set i need to make sure when i get behind that kid I am matching that sound and matching the the heaviness and the weight of that groove. Yeah. You know, I can't tittle tattle. Yeah. I can't just, Oh, you know, yeah, I was a kid, but it was like, that was the lesson mm-hmm. of that season for me. It was like, you need to make sure you hit the drums like a man. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. because you see that a lot when people sit in, in a band, you can instantly tell, Oh, it's not yeah. the same drummer. They're not playing as hard. They're not playing right. as much conviction. It's and authority. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Now yeah. there is a time I, there's a drummer here in, in town, Renato Ward. And he used to get called to come do to play, uh, to sit in, like if he was going to a show. And he has his, these are legendary stories where he would go in and the band was like, hype, 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 hype. And then they were like, hey, Renato, come sit in. He's like, okay, he'll come in. And they're like, what song you want to play? He'll just throw out a song. And it's like a ballad. And he'll, right. pull, out the, he'll pull out the brushes <laughs> and just kill everybody <laughs> with brushes. You know, so like, like there's a way to like totally bring it to where it's like, oh, okay, y'all been doing that. Let's just bring it to something else. And let's, right. So there, there's a time, I, I feel like those are two different instances for sure, because there is a certain maturity of knowing, you know, okay, you're doing your thing. You got it up to 10. I don't need to stay at 10. Let me, let's bring it back down a little bit. Yeah. And it's a way to do that in a skillful, skillful way um, that brings dynamic to the night. You right. know what I mean? So the, we yeah. used to do that. There was this like hot shot drummer in our town that like he would like load in his drums and he wore gloves and like it was yeah, like, yeah. like the whole thing. And uh and like would pull his cymbals out and like and he was like not that good of a drummer, but he yeah. had like all the gear and everything. Yeah. So any like and he was the kind of guy who would like talk your ear off uh at during the set, you know, yeah. set break and everything. So we would always get him to sit in and it would always be like a super slow ballad with brushes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just like it's you know, not many people can play a, a ballad with brushes. Exactly. And we're like, all right, man, we're gonna like we're gonna play this tune. Like right. do, do some brushes on it. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was a ma- <laughs> it's for for me with Renato, it was a master class, man. Yeah. You know, I mean th- like, yeah, this is totally a different a different yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, but like it was it was a master class. It was like, oh my God, he just the dynamic range just went down, but it stayed up. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there was this, it was confusing at first. It was like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? I want to know that magic. I want to know that kind of wizardry. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And so you seek that out, you know, you, you, you try to figure that out. So yeah, man. It's amazing what people can do when they're, when they have conviction and, and they're really confident in the thing that they're doing. There was a guy, uh, or is a guy, Sean Hoots, who used to play at this club in Westchester all the time. And we've done some gigs together too. He was in a band called Hoots and Hellmouth, but he used to play at this club with, uh, a, an acoustic guitar, just himself in the middle of this club. And like, you would walk in on a Friday night and literally every single person in the club was dancing. Wow. With an acoustic guitar. And wow. he would just be like stomping and playing. And people were like, like it like it was like it sounded like a full band and it was just him. Wow. It was amazing, wow. you know. Yeah, man. It's like yeah. when you can if you can own it and, yeah. and do it well. Yeah. Um that reminded me that you tell, talking about the sitting in story and like 
I know that he's kind of disgraced now, uh, Bill Cosby, but did you ever see yeah. the video of him talking about sitting in with the jazz band in Philadelphia? Uh-uh. You should Google. It's Bill Cosby, and he talks about sitting in with this band, and wow. it is hilarious. I got to check it that is, out. It's hilarious, like, because he's a drummer. Yeah, no, he's, he's a real deal. I, yeah. I just bought a record, actually. Uh, is it Stu Gardner? Something like that. He's the guy that did all the music for, for the Cosby show. Oh, really? There's an album of the Cosby Show music. Really? And it's like heavy hitters on it. Like a buddy of mine on it. And it made sense because that's also another example of like learning a lot of music. I watched the Cosby Show growing up. I still love the Cosby Show. Like I I understand Bill Cosby and everything he's done, blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to downplay that. But like the principles and the things that I learned in that show and from the good that he did, I I respect it. And I, 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 I hold to it. And so the music that was played in that show, man, like changed my life because he was giving you an education, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, there were, episode, there were tons of lessons in there. Yeah. Lessons after lessons. So, um, yeah, totally. I, I, I got to check that out because I learned so much. It, from... It's a story about him sitting in with Sonny Sit. That's what it is. Wow. Wow. And I'll, I'll send you a link to it. It's, it's yeah, hilarious. Please. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, it's very funny. Yeah. Um, so, I know that you work a lot with, with independent artists and you're either on the road, obviously not on the road right now, but normally on the road, working with independent artists locally, recording, you have a production team. Uh, where, where should people find you? Where's the best place for them to follow along with what you got going on? If they want to work with you, if they want to check out your music, if they want to you know, see your, if they want to go to your YouTube and just put it yeah. on play for an hour and a half and get some work done because it's amazing. Right I highly on. recommend. That's going to be my playlist now. It's going to be like <laughs> the Nick Ruffini playlist. It's just going to be all videos of you. <laughs> <Like that. laughs> They'll be like, that, yeah. that doesn't look like Nick Ruffini. <laughs> right, right. Man, I uh, I guess people could follow me. I have a website. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, TerrenceFClark.com. And um, there are a lot of things on there uh, from my, my album credits to testimonials to a few blogs. Um, and access to my social media, my Instagram, my Facebook, uh, Twitter. All of my stuff is the same, Terrence F. Clark. Mm-hmm. I try to make it really easy and streamlined. So Terrence, T- yeah, Terrence, T-E-R-E-N-C-E-F, Clark. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in all those places pretty much, you know. Uh, but mostly Instagram. Instagram is, is a platform that I just kind of appreciate from the beginning. It's mm-hmm. just simple and easy and, uh, you know, but, you know, I have my website, which I consider my personal world. So if you really want to get to know me and see what I'm about and see what I've done, I keep that updated. So, yeah. Good deal. So, and we'll link up to that in the show notes and I'm going to put some videos in the show notes as well, because I want people to, <laughs> want people to check those. I'm being serious about that. I'm gonna oh, man. That. Dude, you know, you, you, you say that and I'm like, I always, I play in those, a buddy of mine, George Slepik, said it to me a couple of weeks ago. He said, man, when I watch you play in those My Symbol videos, he's like, it always sounds like you're playing a song. Yeah. He's like, it sounds like there's me there. I hear the music. And I'm like, well, that's how I play. I'm here. I'm creating a melody in my head and an arrangement in my head that I've, I'm just playing to. I don't know. I can repeat it. Right, right, but right. I, would love, I would love to hear someone take any number of those things and like put music to it. And that's, see what would happen. 
You well, know? now we got now we we got a challenge for the listeners. Yeah. I want to grab one of Terrence's videos on YouTube yeah. and put some music to it. I would and, love to and repost it. Yeah, let's collaborate on some old clips. Because <laughs> there's all those like mashups that you see on Instagram and everything too, yeah. like where people will just grab like a lot of people do it with Charlie Hunter, like they'll grab his guitar yeah. playing and then they'll put drums behind it or right. or whatever. So right, I had a I had a uh, an artist uh, hire me to do some drums and he sent me the demo and I was like, man, this sounds great. I don't need to do anything on this. He's like, well, actually, that's your drum part like a, a youtube video and i was like bro was that's like, amazing i was that like well amazing. I, was like, I don't think i can recreate that like it's a vibe that's a that's the thing i was like just just use that he's like well that's cool he was like i didn't want to use it without your permission i was like well that's kind i appreciate that so yeah that was the i had never experienced anything like that in my life that's pretty that amazing was, though that was the first for sure he's like good well, thing it was you're not like this dude's trash and he's like that's yeah, you. <laughs> I'm like, man, not, not that good. I would think that that would happen, but it would be yeah, it would no. be pretty hilarious if it did. Yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> yeah, good. glad we're replacing this dude. This dude's garbage. Let me get on. Yeah, here. yeah let me get on this, man. It sounds like crap. <laughs> like, oh, actually, it's you. Oh, wow. Dang. <laughs> I meant crap in a good way. You know how people say yeah. it's bad and like that's how. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, amazing. That was, that was- that's that a, I weird. mean, that's a hell of a compliment, for, like a, a compliment for yourself that you didn't even mean to give, right? That's I didn't awesome. even mean, no, not at all. It was, it was weird. I was with my engineer and we were trying to recreate the thing and the tones and everything. And he literally got it from the My Symbol video and they don't use huh. a lot of, they literally don't use any mics. All you're hearing is like overhead mic. Yeah. And so, you know, it's all about whoever's playing that, that video and their touch, right? So like he yeah. took this clip and we were like, man. Dude, this that sounds better, you know. Like we're just gonna tell him this sounds better, like to not pay us, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happened. Like I was so shocked, bro. Like I would have never, ever assumed or guessed that that could be a thing. So, huh. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a um, there's I'll have to put it in the show notes. There's and I forget what company it is. It's a mic company where they do all these recordings with one microphone in the room. And that's it. it. And it sounds amazing. And it's, and I it's, need to know them. I need to I'll know send them. it to you. And it's, it's literally like, it'll be a full, there's a full band. There's, um, there's, uh, like a quartet and like, there's yeah. a bunch of different, there's a different, I think it's, maybe it's RC, is it RCA mics? I don't know. I'll put it in the show notes, but I'll send you the link yeah. for it too. Speaking of that, I, I know we didn't get into like any recording stuff, but like, that's my motivation to record from home is, I never really wanted to do it and never w- was really into it. Mm-hmm. But the only way it really intrigued me was to like be less is more, like less mics, right. simplify and just kind of trust, you know, my mixing of myself as far as how I'm playing the instrument. That makes it sound, that's fun to me, you know, right? Versus just having everything mic, 13 mics up and all these options. I just... Again, we're talking about like a, a generation who fights to find their sound. I would encourage anybody like lim- like take away some stuff, yeah. limit yourself. You know, like yeah. limit yourself to some some very simple things, and then see if who you think you are stands through that stands true. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're saying not relying on the microphones as much, and, and- yeah, not relying on. S- the newest gear or just, yeah, the microphones, all this stuff, like it starts from you first, you know? Right. Yep. So, you know, start there. 
without all the stuff and then see if you really still like yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. So, yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, one, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat. I appreciate you coming on and sharing this wisdom. I think it's super important. And like I said, not talking about paradiddles and all that kind of stuff, but really talking about about vibe and feel and touch and and life experiences and how that can how that can melt its way into your your playing. I think is super important. And I encourage everyone to check out your website. It's terrencefclark.com or check you out on social, all that stuff. Check out his YouTube videos. And again, man, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Nick, thank you so much for inviting me and wanting me to be here and share a bit of my story. And I appreciate what you do, man. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. There you have it, the one and only Terrence F. Clark. You can find him on social media everywhere at Terrence F. Clark. Also, the show notes for this episode are at drummersresource.com forward slash session 576. If you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about a minute. Let's people know that this is a good podcast. Let's people know that they should be listening to it. Also helps it show up when people search for drumming podcasts, helps it show up higher in the search results. So I would appreciate that. And again, check out Terrence, Terrence F. Clark on social media. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.